Nerds, you are listening to Horror Nerds at Church, a podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about what it can teach us about God, the Bible, and each other. My name is Joe, and I am the secret teenage lover of teenage Josh Hartnett. <laughs> Very nice. And I am Pace, and I am James Vanderbeek, who is not in this movie, but might as well have been, because it is <laughs> such a 90s Dawson's Creek era kind of movie. <laughs> so Pace is saying that like it's a bad thing, and I don't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, do, do we have any announcements or general talk before we get into what is clearly a movie that Pace dislikes? This, um, just the foretaste of the feast to come, to use Jesus-y language. Uh, <laughs> I think Joe and I are going to, we are opposite ends of the spectrum on our feelings for this movie. So I think this will be an interesting episode. <laughs> it um, will. But clarifying question. Did you yes. say a foreskin of things to come? I I, <laughs> I said a foretaste. <laughs> I see. I see. Of the feast to come. I see. Which I see. A foreskin may be a foretaste of the feast to come. Well, see, you know, I'm all about <laughs> theology of the body, so. <laughs> oh my God. So uh, <laughs> if you're still with us, audience, and haven't abandoned us at this point um, on this episode, the only announcement I can think of is um, since we're getting close, well, not we are past the halfway point in our Halloween watch through of the series. I just want to let you all know, audience, that we will be having kind of a recap episode where Joe and I will kind of talk about the series as a whole and just yeah. um, and some other fun things. And so we'll have a dedicated episode to that after we get through Halloween 2018 in a few weeks. And then we have a few one-off films that I think will also be fun to go through. Um, should we announce those yet? We already know what they're going to be, or should we leave the audience in suspense? I think we should leave our audiences in suspense. You know, keep you all coming back for more, because we enjoy we enjoy your company, whether it's just, <laughs> you know, the five of you out there or pace me and matt just talking to the computer <laughs> yes but yeah um exciting stuff coming up how are you doing pace how have you, how have you been since the last episode it's been so long since we recorded the last episode oh joe and i haven't oh. talked to each other in weeks oh. oh my goodness it was it's like from here to eternity which was actually an old classic movie and i was just being melodramatic yeah, so a little bit of behind the scenes for our audience. We we try to record our episodes two weeks in advance to give oh. our lovely editor, Matt, time to edit them and any hiccups along the way and stuff. And we yeah. got behind. We had to skip a week. So we are recording this episode a day after we recorded our last episode. Yeah. You know, just think of us like the sun. You know, the light you're seeing isn't new. It's actually 10 minutes old. <laughs> yes. You like how that you like how I'm comparing us to the sun. I'm basically deifying us, which is a, a no-no in our faith tradition. We can both be Apollo. <laughs> We're the lovers of Apollo. That's fine. Oh, um, yes, I like that idea. But now before we get too horny, <laughs> let's let's take a let's 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 go right in. So we are doing Halloween 
H2O, and this came out in the late 90s. Do you do you remember which exact year? Was it 97? Yes. No, 98 for the 98. 20th anniversary God, of yeah, Halloween, which came out in 1978. That makes and sense. The full title is Halloween H2O 20 Years Later. Yes, yes. that mouthful is the title of this movie. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know how adult me now would react to it but when i saw this movie in high school i thought whoa cool <laughs> really <laughs> okay <laughs> i need to i thought i've always thought that was the weirdest title i had no idea i was like does it take place like on a cruise boat or something why else would they have h2o in the title like, i i yeah i guess adult me now is thinking it's kind of <laughs> cheesy but you know um yeah. yeah so the director is uh steve minor yeah who is a veteran of this genre yep he directed friday the 13th number two and three and he also was one of the production assistants for the first friday the 13th film as well as uh, last house on the left with wes craven so he he's not at all new to horror and has kind of made a big name for himself with the friday the 13th series also, interestingly, to bring it back to Dawson's Creek, as he was um, a director and producer for Dawson's Creek. Steve Miner was? Yes. Seriously? That's Seriously. so interesting. And he... also, Kevin Williamson was, a, I believe, a writer and was involved he... with Dawson's Creek as well. Yes, so we he, have... he created it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, see, I'm not as much of a Dawson's Creek fan. But yeah, I guess Kevin Williamson has a real character flaw on your part, but okay. <laughs> Dawson's Creek. Um so this is going to be the punchy episode. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Wait, so so the 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 writing credit is given to Robert Zappia. Is that am I saying that right? Yes. Zappia. Okay. So Kevin Robert Zappia was asked to write this. Uh, he, I think he also is a Dawson's Creek person. I don't know. There's so many Dawson Creek's connections to this film. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Robert Zappia was asked to write, to do a pass at it. He did. Um, originally, the film was going to, Halloween 6 did very poorly at the box office, as oh. no one is surprised if you've listened to our last two episodes oh, on Halloween oh, 6. Oh, oh. Um, especially the theatrical cut of the film, which is just a mess. So oh. Dimension thought that um, they still were happy they had the Halloween license and wanted to continue making films to keep that license, but they didn't want to put any money into it. So they were going to do direct-to-video sequels for Halloween. And so oh they had gosh. Robert Zappia come in and do a pass at that. So it was intentionally a low-budget kind of take. And, oh. then, and then what happened is Jamie Lee Curtis uh went to john carpenter and deborah hill and said would you all like to get together to do a 20th um anniversary reunion of halloween and wow. basically make a new film yeah uh kind of like the old gang getting back together since yeah. it kind of launched all of our careers we should give something back to the fans and jamie lee curtis has said this is her idea other people will um the weinsteins think this was their idea but i i oh, i believe jamie lee curtis on this um so she yeah. approached the carpenter uh john carpenter and deborah hill they all had a meeting um and they liked the idea so they went to the weinsteins who owned the rights with dimension films and had a meeting with them and they loved the idea but then 
um they balked at the um uh, john carpenter asking for 10 million to direct it because he felt he was owed back money for um and wasn't paid it oh wow for some of the uh previous entries in the franchise and the weinsteins were like nope <clears throat> so um so deborah and john left the project and wow too bad yeah right could you imagine what that movie would have been i think it'd been know. really cool but Jamie Lee Curtis still stayed on, uh, and yeah. Dimension was excited to have her, so they decided to move it from direct to video with Jamie Lee Curtis's star power uh, to a full theatrical release. Right. Uh, and also what assisted them in making this decision was a little movie that came out in 1996 that revitalized the slasher genre. Maybe you heard of it. Um, Scream. <laughs> <laughs> directed by Wes Craven and written yes. by Kevin Williamson. Yes, and indeed. Scream was a Dimension film. It made a lot of money for Dimension. And so uh, the wine scenes basically asked Kevin Williamson to take a pass at Robert Zappia's script and kind yeah. of um, screamify it a little bit because they sure. knew that was popular. So yeah. he did. He's not credited, but he did have role there and then he was also um moved to a producer of halloween uh h2o so he has producer credit even though he he was responsible for a lot of what made it into the movie especially with jamie lee curtis being um, a headmaster at a school and stuff like that that was all him oh that was all kevin kevin's idea yeah and then robert zappia came back and took another few passes at it and that's where we get the movie and yeah, I, I remember uh, the press about this movie because by 1998, I was already a showbiz nerd. I was reading all of the entertainment industry magazines like Variety and The Hollywood Reporter and all of that good stuff. And um, I remember that even though Kevin Williamson was going to be an uncredited writer, he the press was still giving him the attention for this movie because it was Scream, which he wrote. Mm-hmm. That, as you said, revitalized this whole genre. And so the hype was about, you know, Kevin Williamson um, uh, coming into the Halloween franchise, this hot, young uh, horror movie movie writer. So he he was all over the place in, in the press. And that's what I remember. And that was, for me, was what excited me about this movie because... I remembered Halloween from when I was a kid. And, you know, by 1998, I'm in high school junior year i think junior year and i'm and halloween by that point for me is already a retro movie air quotes um but for it to come back for its 20th anniversary and then have kevin williamson be uh involved in it like was just so super nerdily exciting for someone who's a horror nerd a showbiz industry nerd and all of that kind of a of good stuff I agree 100%. I I was not, we'll talk about our first memories in just a moment, but I was, I did not um, have kind of, I was not following it live as it was happening because I was in middle school at the time and it was a little bit, I wasn't really interested in the Halloween franchise as a kid, but, um, but I do remember, especially when it came time for resurrection, just how big of a thing it was that Jamie Lee Curtis was coming back yet again. Oh. Um, one last thing about the production of this movie that I want to quick t- talk about is uh, 
originally it was going to connect to Halloween 4, 5, and 6, what's called the Thorn trilogy. Really? Yeah, so in early drafts of the script, uh, basically uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is still the headmistress or headmaster of the school, Uh um, and she's teaching class, and one of the characters is giving a book report about Loomis's memoirs or something like that about the Halloween series and that's just what the kid happened to pick for their book report uh-huh. and in it she's talking about how uh Laurie Strode died but some people in a car accident but some people say she f- uh faked her death uh wow. but and then she, they also mention about how uh, her daughter was just killed by um was discovered killed um, in a farm uh, field or something like that oh, wow. and just a year ago. And so that would have been Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode's first time hearing that her daughter, Jamie, had died. So basically, yeah. like in that scene, you can kind of, it, it was going to have like flashbacks from the movies. And then after yeah. the book report was finished, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character says, excuse me, i I need to uh, class oh is dismissed gosh. early, and then she runs to the bathroom and throws up and starts crying, um, uh, learning that her daughter died. So they wow, isn't that like a really like moving scene? I think yeah. that would have been really cool to have kept in, but um, I think it was Steve Miner who was the director decided that that was too convoluted and mm. just to kind of get rid of all the references to halloween four through six and just kind of retcon it to um only reference the first two films you know that that sounds pretty consistent with the end product that we got as a theatrical release this movie moved at a clip right it wasn't more Mm -hmm. than an hour i think hour and a half just under an hour and a half i believe which is the shortest of all the halloween um films by far and uh that there were some delete additional deleted scenes that were not ever shot, but cut out of the script right before they went into filming about a subplot involving two police officers. And so um, they cut out those scenes because they thought that that was just kind of taking away from Laurie's story. And they won't really want to focus on Laurie's story, which is one of the reasons the movie is just so short. So what are your first memories of this movie? You kind of talked about a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I had mentioned that, um, this was something I was looking forward to in high school because the Scream franchise had lured me back into the horror franchise. And um, uh, since I self-described as self-identified as a showbiz nerd, I also want to say that I was pretty much in alignment with the industry's consensus that the horror genre was kind of a dead genre or was dying until Scream came along. Because I I had only watched the Thorn trilogy um, on VHS cassette as as bootlegged movies from my high school friend Carlos, who gets yet another mention this week. Carlos, you're like a celebrity <laughs> now. Um, but I, in reality, I hadn't been to the movies. I hadn't so much as paid a admission price to see a horror movie in quite some time. I, the, the days of even my mom renting some slasher movie were over because even she had moved on from the genre it just wasn't good it it just wasn't entertaining for her anymore in the 90s just as a quick uh aside about movie history 
they were moving away from, you know, the 80s slashers and, and the horror genre in general and into more thriller territory. So we got things like Cape, Cape Fear, Sleeping with the Enemy, you know, movies where uh, people aren't dying in these gory ways. And, you know, you're not seeing your older sister's boobs and wanting to kill her, but more of a, you like clutching the arms of your theater seat kind of, kind of movie. And, um, and I think Scream does a good job of capturing that and also hearkening, you know, to its roots in, in the, in the eighties movies. So so yeah, so there's an absence that Scream definitely filled um and opened the way for for H2O. And that's my adult analysis of this. Your question was about what was my first memory experience of this movie, which I'm 16, 17 years old at the time and I'm just like, "Oh my god, it looks like Scream but with Michael Myers. Count me in, dude." <laughs> Love it. Yeah, I rem- um I remember my first experience of the film like getting I was in middle school so I wasn't quite old enough for the buzz um to really be aimed at me. I mean, I do know that it was a lot of the marketing of the film was meant for adolescents, but I was I was still just quite not at that age mm-hmm. to really to really see or experience the hype like it wasn't really on any of my friends radars or anything either uh, i but see so what bit... you're saying is that i'm a grandfather thank yes. you thanks for writing it in no when you're but for for real when you're kids like the difference between <laughs> middle and high school is huge even though now as adults joe and i are only like two or three years apart in age yeah. but when you're growing up that's huge yeah um, but I do remember, I do remember being aware of it, and I remember thinking that question I had about like the water, like why is it called H two O? That's so stupid. <laughs> because like, unless it's on a cruise ship, that makes no sense. But, <laughs> um, but I, I don't remember much about the film. I don't think I saw it till I was probably in my early thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think one of the reasons this movie is so beloved is if you are, if you saw it in the nineties. I'm sure it was a huge thing to see this movie that with these very nineties Dawson Creek right. kind of actors and feel to it and all that right. stuff it really captures the moment of that era. But for me coming to this movie in the 2010s, like 2015, 2016 for the first time, I was, it, it just, it felt retro in a bad way. It's <laughs> kind too of bringing much. back a lot of those night. Yeah. The movie's very aggressively nineties, so like it's just it's. Um, it, I think that's part of the reason I didn't like it as much. Um, but, but so it's not things. like what you're saying is it's not like Stranger Things, and it has that nineteen eighties aesthetic. That's really cool. This for H two O for you and its nineties aesthetic was just bad. <laughs> Well, it's different. There's a way to like kind of do a send up of an era like Stranger Things, Stranger Things does, or even Guardians of the Galaxy, or any of those things, mm-hmm. due to the '80s, or like Captain Marvel did to the '90s. Even like, yeah. there's a way to do a send up of a genre that works, and then there are also films that kind of work within the time period but have a retro kind of cozy feel to it yeah there are a lot of 90 movies like that like no. i think of like yeah. the home alone series and stuff like that i'm totally uh, but- i totally get it i uh another jamie lee curtis movie right true lies came out yes. in the 90s and Perfect we both movie. like that don't we 
that we both uh, like True, yep. True Lies. We both love it. One of it. our favorite movies. And in terms of special effects, honestly, it hasn't it hasn't aged, and it doesn't feel very retro. Unfortunately, what feels retro are some of the um, <clears throat> demographic issues, to say the least. Yeah, and that that's part of it too. Is like sometimes movies have a cozy feel, like I was saying, in the, of their decade and like or even et does for the 80s but then sometimes a movie feels very much a product in a bad way of its decade and that's definitely this one for yeah. me so, yeah um, no, I, I totally yeah, get it. i think we're ready to walk through the film um we are i, I just also want to give a shout out though to, though um to not just carlos but my best friend robin i did not get into eight halloween h2o 20 years later Oh, wow, you're right. It is a mouthful. <laughs> I did not get into this movie um, in isolation. Uh, my friend group were fans of the Halloween series, um, and they were even fans of the Thorn trilogy, which I did not know existed. They were actually <laughs> the first ones to introduce these movies to me for, for better or worse. So it was definitely a friend experience uh, and one of my best memories of high school. Yeah, I that's interesting. I didn't think about this until just now that you're saying that. Mm. But um one last quick thought uh is that every single of the one of the big 3 franchises has their own trilogy right in the middle. With Halloween we have the Thorn trilogy 4, 5 and 6. With uh Friday the 13th we have and it follows Jamie. And then Friday the 13th we have the Tommy trilogy where we get three films that follow Tommy. Oh um, yeah. How, uh, Friday 13th parts four, five and six. Interesting. <laughs> Again, four, five and six. And then with nightmare on Elm street, we have the dream master trilogy, which is parts three, four and five. So it's always like right in the middle where there's a trilogy that follows the same actor. Just, just interesting how those kind of ebbs and flows in the franchises. Oh, very, very astute. Okay, so we open to Mr. Sandman, uh, <laughs> which is the throwback to Halloween 2. Right. And we get another, we lose the jack-o'-lantern openings I love about the other films. But we do kind of get, similar to Halloween 4, this yeah. kind of uh, different scenes of Halloween. Uh, of It's not, it doesn't start in Haddonfield. It's a different town, Langley or something, Illinois. Um, But we get this kind of opening, establishing shots of it being autumn in the small town in Illinois. And don't, don't forget the, uh, the expositional voiceover by Dr. Loomis air quotes here, air quotes, Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, for me uh, as a teenager who had not revisited the Halloween franchise, in a very long time before H2O, um, I, I I assumed that this was Dr. Loomis, this was Donald Pleasance's voice, and turns out it wasn't. And even during the end credits, you'll see a credit for a quote-unquote voice actor. <laughs> and that's that's that was the narrator. Uh, but you knew right off the bat that that's, that was not Donald Pleasance. Yeah. And... Um... But but it's nice that they try to do a little bit of throwback to him because it helped transition. Uh, we kind of 
uh, Loomis was, and Michael Myers, of course, but Loomis was the one protagonist that made it through the entire original franchise. And this is the first film without him since the actor passed away. So it's nice to kind of transition it from this was Loomis's story. Now we're getting Jamie Lee Curtis's story. That's right. That's by Laurie Strode. Great observation. Yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, at this point in the movie, we're, we're still in Illinois. Mm hmm. Okay. And we pick up with uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt, very 90s. Very uh, 90s. And also, I want to say that as a 17 year old or 16 year old, I, I think JGL was the same age at that point. I'm not sure. But at, at that point, I had already declared him my husband. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> It was so cute in this movie, um, even though he meets an untimely demise. But continue. So I think um, also to make sure we talk about with the opening sequence, which, of course, we have our Joseph Gordon-Levitt looking young and um, vibrant, fresh. Yeah, vibrant, fresh off of Third Rock from the Sun. I fresh believe. Off, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and, and he's clearly he's clearly. Well, I don't, I don't mean in a bad way, but he looks kind of relieved to be free of that character. And he gets really happy with that hockey stick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But still like that 90s teen beat or whatever that Max right. was, like heartthrob kind of right. character. Right, uh, yeah, was it teen beat or or something like that? Oh, gosh, memories of me being closeted. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but... Uh, and so, but also important in that scene we cannot forget is Nancy Stevens coming back yes. as Marion Chambers from the original yes. um, two films. Can you hear me snapping? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it was so cool to see her uh, return, and she is a lot more direct, and maybe I should say. Um, uh, has a disposition of a modern 1990s woman in comparison to her original appearances where I thought that she was, you know, basically a, this nurse who was driving Loomis around. She was barely second banana. But mm -hmm. here in H2O, she's got chops. And, well, yeah. she literally has a cigarette. <laughs> I know. She's still the cha chain smoker that we saw from Halloween, too. That has yeah doesn't change but i i like how you said that she i don't know if grown up is the right word but she's definitely like more matured of a character yeah. more badass more that. more badass more self-assured my favorite line of dialogue during this moment of the movie is when um the the sidekick that tags along with joseph gordon levitt makes a comment to her about how uh, smoking kills secondhand people. And then she says something to the effect of, well, I don't care. They're already dead. <laughs> I'm like, damn. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, I love her. But of course, going too soon. A great, it's a very, very nice scream fake out. So you can tell that this was made in the wake of scream you where you have Joseph Gordon-Levitt, that teen beat, heartthrob character like i said and mm -hmm. a returning character from the original thinking mm -hmm. that these two might be the stars or last right. in the movie for a long time and then right. for them to be killed off by michael in the opening scene right very very right. screen very drew barrymore very, thing very drew right barrymore very, very sarah michelle geller that very jada pinkett smith 
I have something to say about each of them in the Scream movie. So stay tuned for later on down the line, y'all. Yeah, I cannot wait to do Scream. This is going to yeah. be fun when we do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's something afoot, right? Uh, yep. I guess, I guess, I guess our our nurse friend suspects Michael might be back. Yep, because she is was clear that someone broke into her house, or maybe it's the office. It seems mm-hmm. like she it's Loomis's old office. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but she, anyway, while she's in there, she discovers that a file is missing, and the file, I believe had what we would what we find out is jamie lee curtis's character's new name um since she uh, basically kind of like went to witness protection sort right. of program and has the new name do you remember what her name is i don't remember what her it was name something even tate was. was it something tate? yeah was it laurie tate or was it even a changed first name i don't remember yeah i don't i don't remember right uh, carrie tate is what oh, it was carrie carrie yeah. Carrie Tate, and then, <clears throat> well, are, are we uh, are we through with the cold open? Uh, yeah, we yeah. Have, uh, we, well, you know, there's some casualties. Would you like to talk yes. about them? <laughs> they, they all they all die. <laughs> they, they they all they all. I don't even know how uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt's sidekick died. I don't remember. Do you? No. See, th- see, this is what I mean about this movie not being very memorable. I yeah. do. Joseph Gordon-Levitt does get a pretty memorable death. He does. Yeah, he gets a, uh, a he he gets a hockey skate to his face, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh. So 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 that's lovely and graphic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, um, our our poor nurse lived all these 20 years to mark the 20th anniversary just to die. Yes. Just to die by Michael. Um, who I guess finds out that Lori under the name of Carrie now lives in California where she's a headmistress of a boarding school. And so I guess Michael hitchhikes or drive. No, we find out from the bathroom scene. He steals a car. He does, which uh, which I think is I think it's interesting. I remember commenting to you during the screening that 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 will be echoed again into the the 2018 Halloween movie. There's there just there's just something about Michael Myers and making a stopover at um at a rest stop or a gas station. Well, he did that too, right? In five or was it four? I believe I can't that was four. With yeah. where he went to the diner that had all of the Abraham Lincolns. Yeah, all the Abraham Lincolns, and then he proceeds to kill the auto mechanics, etc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that's some kind of hidden meaning alongside the recurring theme of of destiny and fate in in the Halloween series, which will be in which will be addressed in H two O um in a couple of scenes later. For sure. And some one other quick thing, too, uh, that you mentioned that this bathroom scene in the rest stop kind of gets repeated in Halloween 2018. Uh, I feel like this movie as Halloween 2018, you could almost say is a remake of this film. Like it features uh, coming back to Lori, who's dealing with trauma all these years later, Michael returning and having a big confrontation with her and yeah. her children essentially um and also in 2018 her granddaughter too and so it's like so there's a lot of criticism about 2018 rightly so that's not really it it's marketed as like a new sequel when it really it could just 
might as well been um they might have served them better to call it a remake of h2o or something like that or Mm. an homage to h2o because then then that might have toned down some of that criticism i i hadn't thought about it like that as a uh, a remake a possible remake of h2o but i can i can see that and i like that idea yeah, I, I don't have a problem with H2O being a little bit derivative because, I mean, it's in a, a long-running slasher. You're always going to have that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm more excited what the next two films, though, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, are going to do. Now that they've told their H2, their take on the H2O story, Right. we'll see where it goes, hopefully in a new creative way. Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> so we have Michael Myers at this point roaming. Oh, right, we're talking about stop. H2O. We are. <laughs> Can you tell that this movie bores me to death, audience? See, Joe and I are going to need to duke it out when we get to our rating of this movie. <laughs> so there's there's a there's a fake me out here too because there is a single mother and her daughter who are stopping to use the bathroom, and you know for a while you're thinking, oh my god, please don't kill the mother, don't kill the child, and mm-hmm. it, they actually survive. Yep. Uh, but with not without Michael taking their car, <laughs> apparently, <Yeah. laughs> so he can get to Lori uh, slash Carrie. Yeah, who's all the way out in California, where she's like I said, a headmistress. Her adult, not adult, her teenage son, played by young heartthrob, seventeen. Another He's all but seventeen. Teen beat or tiger beat, whatever it's called, teen heartthrob. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and. This was actually, I think, his second film. Oh, because uh, he did Faculty. It came out in the same year, nineteen ninety-eight. Oh, right, he did do that movie. I forgot about that. Another Kevin Williamson production, by the way. Yeah, another Daw- might have been another Dawson's Creek episode too. Pretty much, Pretty <laughs> because much. Um, also set in high school, also with all the young heartthrobs. So we should yeah. do Faculty one time. That'd be fun. We should. We should. That was a. That was a different. I th- I think that was an outlier, personally, because that movie was just so odd. <laughs> uh, but in in any case, so yes, we are introduced to, uh, Lori, who is going under an assumed name. She is the headmaster of a, a nice little private school in the middle of nowhere, California. Um, apparently, the kind where rich people attend. Um, and she yep. happens to have a cute 17 year old son played by Josh Hartnett, who's also a student at said school. Yep. And his name is John, John yep. of all things. Like, why does he get such a boring name? How far have we strayed from the days of Dr. Loomis? Loomis, right. you know? <laughs> yep. I mean, but if she's trying to live in hiding, calling her son like, fairly bland name would might guess, help lay lay low so it could true. be fitting in with that i don't know and we'll, we'll pretend that was intentional <laughs> yeah let's yeah let's i i think i like your uh your rationale there it does seem reasonable that if you're under uh, if you're in hiding and you have a kid you want to give him a, an inconspicuous name so there's he, some yeah. there, there's some ex, ex, expositionary dialogue where it's explained that the father was an addict of some kind, uh, is apparently still alive. I don't know if there had ever been plans to bring him back in any future iterations of H2O, um, but 
uh, Carrie slash Laurie wants nothing to do with him. Yep. So this world that we're in, it's basically Carrie and John against the world, the world being Michael yep. Myers. But she has a love interest slash potential ally in her co-teacher, oh Alan Arkin. Oh my God. You want to talk <laughs> bland? <laughs> I just, I just did Adam not. Yeah. I just, just did not understand this character at Will all. Brian. Why? Why is? Why is she attract? Is he literally the only other male employee at this school? They I mean, there's Ronnie Clooney, so they got what they, okay knockoff. Right. It, well, knockoff. That see, Pace is making a good point here. So let me let me give you a, a, a slight tangent, but an exciting tangent because all my tangents are exciting. You know it. I know it. Let's all just admit it. So in the nineties, Adam Arkin was on a TV show called Chicago Hope, which was CBS's answer to ER, which you know one of the biggest hospital shows of all time, right? And so uh, e, Chicago Hope, wanting to compete with ER, had cast Adam Arkin as their answer to George Clooney, as Pace pointed out, because they did bear some resemblance. Yep. Unfortunately, <laughs> Adam Arkin has his own disposition, which is to say he's not, you know, the charmer that George Clooney naturally emanates. However... As a 90s showbiz nerd, I I liked both of the hospital shows on their own merits. And I liked Adam Arkin and I liked his character at that time. Now we're now we're screening Halloween H20 in 2021. And a lot of time has passed since Chicago Hope. <laughs> and he I I even forgot that he was in H20. And I'm just thinking to myself, was he always this bland? I <laughs> he adds nothing to any scene <laughs> in H2O. I'm I'm sorry if I'm coming down hard on Adam Arkin. I all respect to you, and I love your father. He's a legend. <laughs> but this movie was not for you, my friend. I know, but I mean, it, he's like a nice vanilla everyman character who you get. Attached to enough that yeah. um, you're sad when he meets his inevitable end, but you, yeah. you're also not like devastated either. Right. So like, so so I get it, I guess. Well, you had made a really good observation when we were screening this movie, in that with the kind of life that Carrie slash Laurie has led, maybe someone like him who's boring is exactly who she needs. Oh yeah, I mean, quick pace tangent. But like my mom uh, has said many times to my stepfather, so this is not a um, this is not news for him, so or anything. But she jokingly says that after my dad kind of going downhill with that relationship, she wanted somebody who was boring, essentially, and normal, <laughs> normal and boring. I think is how she says it. Wow. Just because, <laughs> just because you you had the adventure and it went badly so now you yeah. want somebody that brings stability right and um right. my my stepfather is a mathematician so i think that looks that, will wow. say everything i need to say yeah. about why my that mom might think he's boring really really does yeah <laughs> so adam adam arkin's character plays a, a fellow named will and i believe he's the guidance counselor of the school yeah yeah 
Well, and that that just feeds into the the neat little world that Carrie slash Laurie has made for herself here. You know, it's it, it's this little world in the middle of nowhere. There's a lot of stability. She can control the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. And and I love to just this um this kind of gender dynamic. This which I think is intentional. I mean, I, I one of the things that uh jamie lee curtis had said was that she kind of wanted it to be more of an empowerment movie for laurie um which it is and it really works i think with that but yeah um having a woman uh laurie be the headmaster of a school and that when that's typically a male role we see in society and then having a male guidance counselor, which is typically we see in film and in and in right. life too. Um, that tends to be a profession uh, with women primarily. Uh, so it's just it's nice to see that kind of play with gender and subversive take on audience expectations. I love that it. kind of feeds into those themes of empowerment. I love it. As queers, we're always looking for the subversive angle, and H T O did not H two O did not disappoint. Yeah, subversive to name your film Water and then not have water be a theme. <laughs> that's, that's not subversive. That's just an unfortunate coincidence. <laughs> Halloween Water 20 years later. <laughs> oh, boy. So Laurie Carrie slash Carrie has a nice life for herself here. Let's talk a little bit about John and his, you know, the requisite group of teenage friends. What are yeah. they like? It's where... Well, it's a gated school too, which feeds into what you're saying about like it being kind of that stability and sense of safety for Lori. But you can tell that Josh Hartnett's character is kind of because his mom is the headmaster and stuff, he can be a little bit of the rebellious teen. So he's kind of takes on that role in his friend group. And it's that very nineties trope of these people in real life would never hang out because you have the nerd and the rebellious person who's kind of more handsome jock type and right. you have you know you know it's just like a friends group that really wouldn't mix in real life but like it's how, how every did, 90s movie it, it, you bring up a good point like how did this motley crew get together on the other hand you also have to consider the gated school dynamic and maybe they were just the ones who happened to tolerate each other the best so who knows yeah that, that's fair too <clears throat> Um, it's and, very gorgeous campus. It kind of looks like I, one might say PSR in Berkeley, rem- <laughs> reminiscent of our of our uh, of our seminary. Uh huh. Yep, the place where we met Joe and I. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> it's kind of like you you might describe it as kind of like this Hogwarts school. Like it's just this very like brick kind of old intentionally right. old architecture even though it's new so that's the type of school this is in northern california and uh yeah i i like the hogwarts analogy although obviously this was before the movie franchise um i like the analogy because i even now i can still remember the the uniforms of this school mm-hmm. um they were very they were very memorable in a movie that you have described as unmemorable <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> Although I don't even remember what the name of the school was. We just know that it's a very upper crust, private middle school. Uh, interestingly, so... Uh, Hillcrest. It's Hillcrest. Hillcrest Academy. Hillcrest Academy. Well, okay. See, so even the name matches the the whole dynamic there. Uh, so in this group of friends, we have Josh Hartnett. And we have 
Michelle Williams, fresh off the set of Dawson's Creek, and still young and quite a ways away from the storied, let's just say it, the storied life she will lead, where, you know, she'll have a kid with Heath Ledger, and she'll be a, a, a movie critic darling for her, her various roles, and she ends up living a really elusive adult life, kind of, she's... Michelle Williams is old Hollywood to me. You know, there's like a mystique there mm, where, sure. um, you know, I, her personal life isn't uh, central to her story, um, but the presence and her acting abilities are at the forefront. And of course, you know, she's classically beautiful, you know, being blonde and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but here <laughs> in H2O at Hillcrest Academy, uh, she's not, she's actually not rich. Uh, there's a line of dialogue where she says that she's anxious because her dad has flaked on filling out her financial aid paperwork. Yeah, which means that I believe she won't be able to go on the trip to that everyone's planning to go on to Yosemite National yes. Park. Um, I think for that was like a creative a Halloween trip, I guess. I think that was a creative excuse to to get out yeah. of, of that. It, it adds something to her character um, in sure. just one line. But yeah, as you're saying, so the entire school is slated to go on this Halloween trip to Yosemite, which which I I don't know why that's happening. It just doesn't seem like anything that would have happened in my years in school. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a little bizarre, especially like, a field trip, sure, but to specifically do it over Halloween is weird to me. Right. Um, but maybe it's because I could see it like this kind of like we don't want the kids to be partying. Um, so we're going to have like more of a structured activity for Halloween or something. I, 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 I suppose so. <laughs> but uh, these are also we're firmly in the era of horror movies like The Faculty or Scream or any of the any of the other 90s horror movies where every single high school character is just gorgeous 20 year old something mm-hmm. and so, like there is no way that there's no high school in the world where these are the people what they actually look like <laughs> there's not a zit to be seen on any single person no braces nothing <laughs> gorgeous people uh, and so it's just, it kind of is part of that 90s aesthetic that is one of the things yeah. i don't like about it it's just it's feels a little too flawless a little too dawson's creek or cw show or anything like yeah, that yeah you know? ideal too too uh, too idyllic yeah no no I, I i get what you're you're saying but that as you said that was the 90s aesthetic uh dawson's creek aired on a a sh- uh, little uh, on a on a tiny and relatively short-lived but memorable network called the wb network and that network sold itself on that aesthetic. It had beautiful young teenagers and they had like whole marketing campaigns around them that, and even though these, many of these actors on the WB shows were unknowns, the way they were marketed by the network was either they're already big and you just don't know it, or this is the next generation of writing, rising stars, and we happen to have all of them. And so, you're, yeah, you're right. Uh, then comes along movies like Scream and Halloween H2O, which definitely uh, take advantage of that aesthetic. Yeah. And then um, 
and it's it's weird like because even the background actors in the school um who are playing the other teens and stuff that we see early on before they um board the buses to go to yosemite mm-hmm. are all still part of that aesthetic too so it's not even like a actual teenage looking person in the background either so it's just <laughs> feels like a, it, it feels more like a college i guess than um uh, high school but i don't know well that probably speaks to the the tradition of of casting actors who are a little bit older to play teenagers because uh you probably can't get the range of acting from teenagers because they, you know, they don't have that world experience yet necessarily. Right. And also not having to deal with the labor rules for kids, which I think in many States and stuff require a like certain amount of time off for schooling and stuff like that. So just easier to cast a 20 something. And, and, and so besides looks, obviously, uh, there were other intentional reasons for um, this casting. So Josh Hartnett is a relative unknown. This is one of his first movies. He's obviously cast because he's, he's tall and cute. Uh, Michelle Williams is big through Dawson's Creek. Um, Jody Lynn O'Keefe also, who plays another friend in the group, she is um, fairly known in TV. She was on Nash Bridges, which was a huge hit for CBS in that day. Um, and I'm trying to place uh, our last our last uh, member of the bunch. Um, but I, I'm not I'm not really coming up with anything off the bat off of a, of a Adam Hanbird. Am I saying his name right? He's the one who plays the nerd in the group. Yeah. Um, I think he was in Jumanji, uh, where he played the younger version of Robin You're Williams. right. Oh, you're right. That's the yeah. only thing I really know him from, though. Now that you're now that you're bringing that up, yes, because in, in H2O, he has, like, the same face, except in a grown-up body. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so that round he rounds out what is a notable ensemble of a teenage clique uh, made up of actors who, you know, are already settled in some way or are just insanely hot looking like Josh Hartnett. Yeah, <laughs> and so so basically the basically there's kind of this domino effect where. Um, Michelle Williams' character can't go on the trip, so then everybody else, for various reasons, decides they don't want to go on the trip out of this friend group. So they're all going to throw this little basic... Basically, they're going to play hooky from the trip and throw this little like um, private Halloween party just the four of them. And it seems like uh, John and Molly, that's Michelle Williams' character, might um, have their first intimate moment that uh-huh. like the sexual experience with each other i think is kind of implied in the subtext of they want halloween to be special for that reason so he has like this whole little like rose petals and flowers and shit set up yeah so yeah so we yeah we get rid of all the students who are going to yosemite yay bye blah 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 the gates are closed important note who closes the gates ronnie the security guard played by none other than ll cool j yeah and he's kind of complicit in these four kids plan to play yes. hooky from the trip because um there's a point of contention between john and laurie his mom jamie lee curtis of course yeah. uh early on in the film where he 
he's still thinking he everyone's going in his friend group on the trip. So he's trying to convince his mom to let him go and to sign the permission slip. And she says, no, she know, and that he of all people should know that because of the trauma from Halloween 20 years before, uh-huh. she's like very overprotective about this holiday and just wants him to be home in the gated community where he's safe and like you, you can tell this is kind of an effect of her trauma and that was very deliberate too to um show this is what a survivor of this kind of trauma 20 years later yeah. uh, is going through she's also shown to be a substance abuser um particularly alcohol uh and to have to be very high strung kind and very overprotective of her kid yeah uh, I think I think that's that's a important distinction to make from Halloween 2018, which you have characterized as essentially a remake of this movie, because while trauma, while the, the trauma that's um, that Laurie express uh, that Laurie has experienced in a, is expressed in age two o more as like this consequence that must be addressed in the story i it's mm-hmm. not giving priority whereas the 2018 version is going to do a lot better of embodying that trauma yeah um, or at least a very different approach and take of it yeah too yeah. I, which i th- i think is really interesting i i do like that like how we get these two different takes on what laurie 20 versus 40 years later would be yeah through. Um, yeah, also, true. yeah. So, so basically, Laurie says no. He can't go on the trip. Yeah. He he has this blow up fight with her, and yeah. that makes Laurie start to kind of question her trauma, and she decides to confide in Adam Arkin uh, about her <laughs> about like who she really is and her history with Michael Myers and stuff like yeah. that. And so she kind of has this moment of, you know, I'm just going to. I don't want to ha- um, lose my relationship with my kid. Uh, over this uh, maybe i am being a little bit too uh anxious and um in my head about it so i'm mm-hmm. just gonna you know take a big breath and sign his permission slip and so she she presents it to him right after he pre- told his friends that he was going to end up staying home too and i'm not mm-hmm. going to trip so mm-hmm. then he has to pretend that oh thanks mom that's really cool even though he's not gonna go anyway right right yeah, it's all all uh all four of the of the friends in this friend group uh basically calculated their way into staying behind. Uh yeah. at um yeah. So that, mm-hmm. but that brings it to Ronnie, like you were saying, uh, yeah. uh, Cool J's character who is kind of complicit in these kids' plan uh over and against Jamie Lee Curtis's wishes. So right. it's kind of this kind of fun little point of conflict. Uh but also sets up for the drama or thriller suspense of it all that uh lori is going through the movie thinking that her son is safe at yosemite not realizing that right. when she finds out michael myers is there to stalk her um not realizing that he's actually there right okay. and oh yeah oh, sorry i <laughs> this is my um rambling on about ronnie though but th- there's something i do not want to forget which is he is writing a romance novel right <laughs> and like telling these scenes to his girlfriend or something and she's like saying that it's nasty or something like there's this whole weird very weird subplot there with that romance novel writing it, it, yeah it's um 
I don't know how 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 would you describe him a security guard with an author's heart, <laughs> you know, and and he he doesn't have the disposition disposition of a security guard because he clearly feels for the kids, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So um, I I think the the that subplot you're talking about is. I don't know. I liked it. It was kind of like comic relief for this movie. Yeah, As much comic good. relief that you can pack into an hour and a half, right? Yeah, this movie, 86 minutes, I think, it books. So it's really cool, I think, to have these. They're they're weird and a little bit out of place, but yeah. nevertheless, it kind of like paints the scene a little bit more for the characters and still yeah. a very fast-paced movie is still taking the time to at least introduce these little snippets of these characters' lives. And so one more one more quick casting note. Um, so as you noted, uh, Ronnie is on the phone often in the movie talking to his wife about this novel that she uh, that he's writing, but we never actually see uh, his wife. We only hear her voice. And keeping in with the theme of casting prominent actors from TV, uh, his wife's voice is played by Lisa Gay Hamilton, who at that time uh, was big on The Practice on ABC. Oh, yeah. And we cannot forget one other, I think this is our last one, but one other casting note, which is a very small part uh, played by Janet Lee. Yes! How could we forget? In this cameo, she's playing, I think, like a secretary or some sort of office works in the office at the school and so she just has this really small part where she talks briefly with um uh lori uh uh, briefly have a little conversation and then her final piece of dialogue is she wishes lori a happy halloween and then drives away Right. Well, and she's driving away in 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 that that classic car, right? Oh yes, the Psycho car, the same uh, <laughs> make and model of the car she drove yeah. in Psycho. <laughs> I love it. It's I, I love I even as a kid, a, a high schooler watching this movie, I loved that touch. Yeah, I mean, it's self referential in a more subtle way than Scream was, but you can still tell it kind of has that wink towards the audience of like. We're here. We're making a very bold-faced reference to Psycho, um, yeah. knowing that our audience will recognize that connection in a self-aware way. Um, so, so I like that. So it's 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 like Scream Light, I would say. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. All, All right. right. So, are we finally at this empty campus or semi-empty campus? Yeah, but. It's okay that it took a little bit to get here because from this point to the end is very fast. It's so fast. It's fast. Boom, boom, boom. People die. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So Michael somehow returns. Uh, he parks a car outside of the gate and um, LL Cool J goes to see the car because the car is just sitting there running. And while he's investigating the car, Michael slips in through the gate. And then from that point on, it's like Joe said, boom, boom, boom. Uh, first, <laughs> one character gets killed in the kitchen. Right. Um, another, like, it's, it's, the deaths are just in very rapid succession, kind of gets them out of the way. All the way, all the teens die except for um, Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, Josh Hartnett. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Josh Hartnett. And... Uh, also, Adam Arkin dies, but everybody else, and we get a fake out death where 
Uh, we think that Adam Arkin accidentally shoots LL Cool J from Ronnie's character. I'm thinking it was Michael, but um, accidentally hitting Ronnie. And then we think Ronnie's dead, but then um, kind of in a fake out moment, Ronnie comes back, has survived his shot and like comes in and hits Michael uh, kind of like ba- basically um no, no, she, he comes in at the end to tell Lori not to um, get a little bit ahead of myself, but he comes in at the end to have a quick check in with Lori. And of course, he um, he gets on the phone again with his wife and he explains how he survived. He says, yeah. quote, no, 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 the bullet just grazed me. Yeah. <laughs> so, at um, this point in the movie, though... Um, even though we get some nice character touches from, you know, the teenagers, it becomes uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's movie about yeah. her jumping back into action, so to speak, so to speak. And that's where all of the yeah. empowerment comes in, right? Yeah, basically what happened, we, Michael, uh, that Michael catches up with the teens. They recognize that uh, Josh Hartnett's there. So he knows it's Michael coming back to kill his, his mom, Michael's uh, sister. So he, uh, so he basically is telling the other kids what's happening. Um, they're trying to get in through a gate. They misplace the keys. Uh, Ronnie lets them in. And then uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is coming around at the same time with Adam Arkin. She helps the kids into the room, close the door. And Michael's face is staring through the window. This iconic scene. Um, right. Which has been like in part of the marketing of the movie and all sorts of stuff. Uh, has, has this Michael and Jamie Lee Curtis like seeing each other through that? Right, and other door. other I, iconic homages include. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Jamie Lee Curtis falls out the window, and mm-hmm. then when when Michael looks for her, she's gone. Yep. <laughs> That's that that takes us back to the first Halloween. Yeah. Um, yeah like you said but by the reverse and um from when michael was gone and i love though so basically what happens is from that point on um we think ronnie dies from adam arkin then adam arkin dies trying giving basically jamie lee curtis and her, her kid uh josh hartnett michelle williams time to escape and she's sends them off with Ronnie in a car and basically turns around and says that she's going to take on Michael one-on-one right? Uh, knowing that her kid has gotten to safety and also the police are on route. So she um, knows that she's going to have backup, but she, she's just, she's not going to safety. She's, <clears throat> this is kind of her character arc, right? This empowering a character arc of her overcoming her trauma and deciding she's ready to yeah. uh, take on Michael and let's <clears throat> go for it. And yeah, as we've said over and over, all of this happens in a cliff, in in a clip, I mean, it's so fast. Uh, there's a lot of chasing around the the school. Uh, and we <laughs> uh, I, I'm not critiquing Steve Miner's direction at all. I, I think he does a serviceable job, but I just think it's funny that we keep running into these floating curtains over it's like the curtains are their own character and Mm -hmm. it just it just seems like this is a stand-in for you know adding more creepiness into what it's what's going to be a very uh compact movie right and um yeah so after all of that running around um 
what happens? Do they finally get Michael? Yeah, she, um, she and Michael have their confrontation. She starts fighting him face to face. She stabs him several times, um, mm-hmm. and then again, homage pushes him over a balcony. Yeah, uh, and then the police arrive at the scene at that point, and they, I think, they put her on a. They put him on a on a stretcher. Yeah, they put him on a stretcher, and they are kind of treating her when yeah. she. Does she take a gun? And... I don't. So yeah, I don't. I don't remember. If she, yes, she does. And this is my favorite part because even though this is, uh, uh, we're I'm revisiting this movie, I completely forgot the sequence of events, and I thought to myself, "Oh, it's over. They're going to set it up for a sequel." And then all of a sudden, Lori. Let's just call her Lori now because she's in full Lori mode. She takes a gun and she just goes off on the on the cops and says, "Get over there now, now, now!" And she basically hijacks the van where Michael Michael's body is. Yeah. Uh, and so she just drives him away in the van, steals it. Uh, she Michael awakes and tra- starts to attack her. So she stops the van suddenly and he flies to the windshield yeah and so then she just full badass mode she kind of a repeat of halloween four at the end actually with rachel but she drives a van right into michael pins him between uh, a tree in the van uh-huh. and then he again probably an homage to halloween five michael has this weird moment where he reaches out to her like this rare rare, like tender moment and you're wondering Mm -hmm. like is this a human side of michael trying to manipulate his sister into uh sparing his life or something who knows uh but laurie takes um an axe and it's an axe yeah cuts off his head yeah she 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 hesitates but she doesn't hesitate you know Mm -hmm. she she's kind of watching michael making that arm arms embracing gesture and then finally she's like okay i'm done chop off with your head um and and that's that's the movie and like it's it was weirdly satisfying to end the movie like this you know because everything happens so fast and then all of a sudden there's an axe through um michael myers's neck and his head rolls away and you're thinking this is it this Mm -hmm. finally it's it's all over. Yeah. And this was intentional too from Jamie Lee Curtis. She petitioned for this ending. Steve Miner petitioned for this ending. And the Weinsteins yeah. pre- uh, petitioned for this ending. They thought that this would be a good way to end the franchise. And yes. they're on a high note and stop it there. And yes, yes. Um, it was the Akkads who said, no, we refuse. Um, we need to... S- Halloween's our biggest money maker, so we're going. We need to leave open a room for room for a sequel, oh and so they gosh. were able to compromise because Jamie Lee Curtis basically said that she would only um, sign on for a sequel mm-hmm. if they could end this movie with her killing Michael and letting it stand as that, right? And then knowing that they would. Um, she would return for a single scene in the sequel, uh, provided that they let this ending be, knowing that they were also going to film an alternate ending that could be used in the sequel film to retcon 
the fact that Michael Dole uh, did a swap a with uh, one of the nurses. And so basically he put his mask on a nurse and uh, I think uh, tied the nurse down, made, uh, injected the nurse or something or something like that to make that nurse unconscious. So then Jamie Lee thinking it's Michael oh, uh, drives sake. the van. Um, it, but it's actually the nurse who she is driving away with. And then she cuts off the nurse's head. Oh, for goodness and sake. And so they film, yeah, so they film this scene as part of this production, <laughs> but Jamie Lee said, under no circumstances can this be edited into this movie. I want this movie to stand as is. Yeah. Um, so that way we can just end it here, and um, if we make a sequel, we make a sequel, but at least this can be a a bookend for innocence and so 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 like that's some kind of it's weird i think that they're able to come to this compromise i wouldn't have expected Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well and and as i as i as i mentioned to you while we were screening this movie um i would have been so happy if this had been the end and i'm not saying that i i don't regret that the franchise continued i mean they're have there after h2o there are certainly a lot of uh let's just say creative ways that that new movies are are spawning and creative ways of bringing michael myers back but for me h2o would have been a sufficient ending to the franchise but because it continued and it's a franchise that i like to me it feels like a couple of other franchises that really should have ended but kept going, i.e. Buffy the Vampire Slayer's fifth season um, and its last season on the WB Network was had would have been a perfect ending. Mm-hmm. Then they brought it back to life for two more years on UPN uh, because UPN was um, trying to um, make a name for itself and they thought that by buying the Buffy show this would help. And I don't regret season six and seven. I thought they were interesting in their own merits, but you can sort of feel that it's, it's not necessarily a jump the shark so much as it is past the prime. (laughs) You know what I mean? I can think of a number of shows too, like that, like one that instantly comes to mind. Another nineties show was Lois and Clark. I love that show. They yeah. should have ended it after they, after season three with them getting like married and just leaving it at that. Yeah, they had this fourth season and the whole clone stuff going on is just a mess. Oh, and what? then season four ends on a cliffhanger, so you never know what happens with the baby. And uh, and that's when it got canceled, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I, I I'm a show I'm a showbiz nerd, as I said before. So I was really keeping track of all of the critiques and and think pieces on on the TV shows that were on during this era. And um, one of the um, commentaries was about how Lois and Clark became a terrible show after they got paired up, and it was it was um. It was compared to Ross and Rachel on Friends when they finally paired up after a long courtship. And the think pieces were all about how why can't TV writers make a good show once they bring the two, the, the two people who are supposed to be together together? It's like mm-hmm. they've run out of ideas to make it interesting. 
for sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things that is good about this movie being so short is that yeah. it doesn't run out of things being interesting. So even though it's right. not my favorite movie in the franchise, I yeah. still enjoy it's still an easy watch. So if I'm doing a marathon or if it's on TV or something, I'm flipping through. Yeah, I'll watch it, even though it might not be my favorite. It's just it's it's fun. Yeah. The- yeah, no, it, it, it's um it's certainly an efficient movie. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, I think we should quick do a deep dive and then I wanna kinda continue this discussion about is this a good or a bad movie when we rate it. I think we <laughs> okay. since this was a shorter movie and a perhaps a shorter episode i think we can indulge ourselves with just a moment to battle it out whether or not this is a good movie yeah so um all right yeah let's let's go ahead and um jump into our theological discussion at first honestly because the movie moves so fast and it was really about Lori's empowerment and finally getting rid of michael once and for all so that she could move on with her life I I didn't think there would be room in this movie of one hour and 30 minutes or so to be, to adjust anything particularly theological. But it does make me think of the whole concept of um, monasticism, which is where modern Christianity, as we know it, grows from. You know, uh, we get it from uh, St. Benedict, right? Mm -hmm. And so... And so with uh, with monasticism back in those days, um, the monasteries had sprung up, you know, following the fall of the Roman Empire. And basically, Europe is in disarray. And so the world is not a very stable place. So a lot of a, a lot of guys are thinking, we need to get out of these urban centers where people are doing God knows what and they don't know what to do. And let's just start our own little monastery. And so St. Benedict was one of the first ones, um, well, one of the prominent ones to do that. Um, he his whole reasoning was let's get away from here and we'll start with our own monastery. And there was also, uh, there were also other movements like that too, such as I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the desert mothers and fathers, those, Mm -hmm. those aesthetic Christians, the hardcore Christians, ascetic, am I saying that right? Ascetic, ascetic, ascetic Christians (laughs) who. It is a kind of aesthetic too though. (laughs) It is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Look to it. (laughs) They're, a very distinctive look. Yes, the emaciated look. Because they, by 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 devout, de- uh, devoting themselves to God so fully, like they restrict what they're eating and they literally go live in caves outside from society, right? And so Lori is trying to do the same thing. She thinks that if she goes in hiding and is in this little controlled world, um, then, you know, she can you know, she can like get away from Michael Myers. But as we saw, you know, with the evolution of Christianity, uh, everything is connected, right? It didn't quite work out that way. Everyone who escaped into the desert, that was like a temporary in the moment experience. It it catches up with you basically. Yeah. And I I agree hundred percent. And so there's this kind of element of like, is that's kind of a commentary on that where it's like how much how removed from the world and sequestered can you get and is that kind of a healthy way to live versus interacting with the world yeah um, and kind of confronting 
uh, the world in a way. And, but, but I, I do think there's this element too, though, of grief and trauma uh, needing uh-huh. to find a certain level of comfort and familiarity in order to give your space the time to give yourself the space to really take the time to reflect on it and get right. to a place where you're ready to confront it. Yes. There may need to be a level of healing that can even happen before you're ready to confront it. And I think we see that with Lori here where she starts out kind of being an alcoholic. Uh, it's show, showing that like her right. abusing alcohol and then her kind of confronting that in her conversation with Adam Arkin uh-huh. and <laughs> then kind of stopping with the alcohol and con- helping her kid escape. And then, kind of in that moment making the decision to turn around and confront Michael for good. Right. And then L- she's about to kill Michael and LL Cool J comes in and tells her to stop. And we think that's where it's going to end because that's the usual redemptive arc. The hero's not going to ever go, isn't going to kill. It's like, that's a whole Batman thing too. You know, he, his <laughs> one, number one rule is he doesn't kill. He'll, he'll beat people up right. <laughs> and stuff, but he will never like actually kill them. And so we think that's how it's going to end for Lori, but nope, she takes out a gun and dri- drives Michael off. She takes control of the situation. <laughs> yep. And she, she hesitates, but then she kills him. And that's how it ends without any further easing out of the audience of we just subverted your expectations. Right. This is what empowerment looks like for this 90s empowered woman. It's a very different take on empowerment, I think, um, yeah. than what we we have seen up to that point. Yeah, absolutely. And I paved agree. the way by the Alien franchise, I think, another horror franchise. I think if it wasn't for Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver, uh-huh. I do not think we could ever have... Uh, she's the prototype for the strong, empowered woman that then we get um, with Terminator. Right. Uh, we see that in that franchise and all the uh-huh. others. So, Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. So, yeah, it's interesting that in this fast paced movie, which at this point, um, you know, really feels like a movie, not just to commemorate the anniversary, but also to just really, let's just, you know, bring closure to this thing. Um, there's still a little bit of room for some theological reflection. Were, were there any other theological reflections you made? Um, I think we've talked, we've talked about this before, so I don't want to get into it too much, but just to kind of call back to this ongoing theme in some of these films of what it looks like to survive trauma and this, uh-huh. and also that subversive memory. We've talked about that like two times, I think now, yeah. uh, how, how memory taking time to remember can be a subversive act. And so yeah, Lori kind of finally taking um, her memories out of that mental box she made for them yeah and living through them and confronting them then it allows for that take to finally confront those memories is part of that subversive thing that allows her to ultimately overcome the past right and and yeah you know, the other the uh, last thing i want to say about this and then of course feel free to to keep going if you have more but um 
is I just think that Lori. I don't know. It's just the movie does not really take the time to deal with the questions that Laurie's characterization asks, I think. And Uh so that is something that it kind of leaves open for a sequel. And we never really get because resurrection, Halloween resurrection, um, Halloween eight just is, really fucks up this the entire point of this movie right <laughs> and yeah. so so that getting into why i when we'll talk about what why i don't like this movie that's part of it is just the whole point of this movie is going to be undone in the next movie so what's the point of this movie then yeah that is that is a bummer for sure um my only my only um, remaining theological thought, and it's kind of a stretch at this point, but it's a connection I want to make anyway, is that um, uh, I agree with you about uh, the characterization of Laurie here. Of Laurie here, uh, she could have done more, um, but you know the movie was so short and and I would say even purposeful about uh, resolving the franchise that. Uh, there wasn't much of an opportunity for that to happen. And I think I would liken it to, you know, there there are a lot of characters in the Bible who are, let's just say it, um, uh, they exist to move plot <laughs> or advance a narrative of some kind, right? Like, yeah. um, like with Mary, mother of Jesus, um, canonically in, in scriptures, she she doesn't, really have a background you really have to look to extra biblical sources uh to round out who she was as a person and um that that was probably done by design you know to just kind of like uh, make important and necessary connections in that case you know they're the the uh bible fellows they're probably guys and all guys <laughs> they were trying to link jesus back to um, you know, the first Testament. And so, yeah, I think that Lori and Mary, mother of Jesus are similar in that these are sketches of women that couldn't be fully formed because that was not the function of the narrative. I, I think that's beautiful. Thank you for that. Because that also got me thinking one other piece about Lori is just, um, Okay, yeah, so one thing that what you said made me think this whole mother uh, angle with Mary, Mother of God, is the disservice this movie does in cutting out that Mm. original scene Uh Uh where it related this movie to Halloween 4, 5, and 6. The book report or something that the student was doing. Because Mm. in that take of it. it this movie was essentially the same except that this moment where she was forced to confront by this unexpected book report her memories of michael and also learned that her daughter had just died is the catalyst for her to finally confront michael and also the reason why she sure. ultimately decides to kill him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when you take that out it l- it loses some of the impact. I, I don't yeah. think that it still is a compelling character arc. I don't think it's sure. bad or rushed or anything. I just think that there is a little bit more um, 
oomph behind it, so to speak, when yeah. there's that added element of, I just lost my child. Right. I'm going to kill this bastard. Right. Preach, preach. No, that absolutely makes sense. And I would have loved to see that, um, that student report scene and Lori's reaction and, and her grief. Um, and that deleted scene or, you know, scene that was never filmed, um, but it was thought of um, it, 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 it could be connected to extra b- biblical text about uh, Mary, the mother of God, because mm-hmm. in the extra biblical text, we, we learn so much more about her background and who she was in the little town she comes from. But it also gives, it also gives motivation as to why Mary would just say, okay, sure, I'll do this. Because, you know, uh, the, in, in, in canon, you know, it, the idea they're conveying is, you know, the angel Gabriel says this, and then Mary's like, okay, well, it's coming from God, so I guess I'll do it. <laughs> but, you know, in, uh, from human experience, that narrative does not make much sense, really. Yeah. Um, this is more, that narrative is more of a, a tradition thing, a faith thing. And if you want mm-hmm. the fuller story and Mary's motivation about why she goes with this plan, you have to look to these really excellently uh, written extra biblical sources. So yeah. that being said, we still get what we need from that story, right? Mm-hmm. We still get that Mary is the mother of Jesus and that she is the one who gave birth to this extremely important figure to humanity. And even in, in H2O, without you know that great scene um, that should have been included, we still get that Laurie needs to have closure with Michael. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's still, even in the movie as it stands, I mean, her son being there and being in danger is part of the catalyst. Yes. So, yes. I mean, see, that that was in that was the case either way. Uh, so, so there there has been that element too with uh, Lori, right? Yeah. So, absolutely. Well, I don't have any uh, additional theological I strings know. to pull from this movie. Threads. How about you? I don't either. So I guess we need to duke it out over: is this a good movie or not? <laughs> okay, I go first. I yeah. go first. I go first. I go first. Go for it. Um, this movie gets nine jack o' lanterns out of ten, oh, and um, <laughs> um, I am not being ironic. It is. It's good. Okay, it is scream good. I would say that it's a cousin of Scream. This movie, even Halloween. Has- Scream in it. Scream two is playing on the TV. During- it was. It was. It's so hilarious. I. I would. I would. I would retitle Halloween H two O. Scream one point five. <laughs> All right. Um, and that's that's how much I, I love it. I'm definitely. It's probably a biased rating because I loved the '90s horror movie aesthetic that Scream introduced into the world. Uh, so definitely nine jack o' lanterns out of ten. My favorite kill was um, the the nerd guy, uh, Jumanji guy, whose name I can't remember. Um, <laughs> when so there's a fake me out where you think he is going to have his hand brutally chopped off because he drops something into the garbage disposal in the kitchen and he reaches for it and nothing happens. Then Michael kills him, but before Michael kills him. 
that poor kid, he's so polite. He goes, hi. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. And then, yeah. yeah, bam, you're dead. And it's like, his last word was literally a greeting. His last word was literally the Christian uh, philosophy of welcoming and community. He says hi to his killer. That little moment had so said, much meaning for me. <laughs> and you said you were done with the theology, and here you go. I know. <laughs> and okay, so that's my that's my two cents, or rather my nine my nine jack o' lanterns. Nine out of ten. Wow, I knew you liked it, but I didn't know it was nine out of ten. You rated it the same as you rated the original Halloween. It, it, it's up there, and you know, and 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 I also I also want to add that I am a shallow queer. So pretty people contributed to this re- rating. Mm-hmm. Josh Hartnett, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay. Uh, Adam Markin or nah? Um, who? Uh, you know, when, when you're as bland as he is, it's like it's like he just passes through the walls. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I'm such a bitch. Adam Markin, if you're listening to this, I, I don't mean it. I loved you on Chicago Hope. Anyway, Pace, take it away. <laughs> Adam Arkin, you are gorgeous. You're a gorgeous, if bland, daddy. So <laughs> I'm all for it. Okay. Um, I would rate this film a 6 out of 10. Mm. Okay, okay. I do that. what it has going for it that I love. I'll start with that. Kevin Williamson, when he wrote Scream, wrote it as a love letter to the slasher genre and specifically to Halloween. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that self-aware winking quality of the film yeah. is its way of saying, of enjoying the slasher movie, uh, slasher franchise, in a way that allows you to have fun with it while still also being genuinely scary. Um, and it also has that element of the whodunit in Scream that I just love. So it's kind of a murder mystery at the same time. Yeah. And so for he then to be invited to participate in the Halloween franchise after writing Scream as a love letter to Halloween. Just, I think, is a really beautiful thing. It's a great book closure for for him in that that sense and for the franchise. If the franchise had ended here, I think I would like this movie a lot. Um, Uh It did not end here, so that's one of the reasons I do not like this movie, because... The entire, like I said earlier, the entire point of this movie was undone by Halloween Resurrection, and I will say more on that next week. Um, but it, it's it's a okay movie. This is why I don't like it. It is not scary. But but <laughs> there is nothing scary about this movie except for the CGI Michael Myers mask. Or that or as movie. as that one tweet you showed me, uh, Josh Hartnett's hair apparently. <laughs> like out of all the Halloweens, including Halloween six, including Halloween six, which is its own mess, this is the least scary Halloween movie. Yeah. It's more of a thriller, and that's fine, but it's just like Right. And and I do love a good thriller. It's just to me, I just I want Michael Myers to be scary, and he wasn't scary. Yeah. It's a little, there's a little bit of gore here, which 
is kind of cool. Um, it's one of the gorier entries in the franchise, which is weird because it's only a '90s movie. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, like it, it's just not scary though. Yeah. Well, you you bringing up that that scariness actually uh, brings up an important point about this movie, where it it's a movie that does not take place all on Halloween Day. Only the opening um, was was on Halloween, which I thought was a nice touch. Um, and then when we get to uh, Lori slash Carrie's um, <clears throat> story, um, it's around Halloween, but not necessarily during Halloween. And I think that's a small but important distinction because it places Lori in an everyday life. You know, like her, like her choices are not going to be determined because it's Halloween, right. like it was in, ho- in, in the original Halloween. This is so relevant to your point. This movie was released at the tail end of blockbuster season in august yes only halloween movie up to this point that was not released in either late september or isn't that odd so they released it at the end of blockbuster season in the end of summer a movie called halloween set in the fall and i think they did it because they wanted to they knew jamie lee curtis coming back was a big thing and they knew scream was a big thing which was released the first screen was released in the holiday yeah. season and did huge. Right. So I think trying to cash in on, on all of that. And it worked. This was the most successful film in the franchise aside from the original. And, you know, that's also reflective of the era. Um, this was when the, uh, the Sixth Sense was a summer, it was a summer blockbuster. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone was astounded by that because it was such a quiet creepy movie and if i'm remembering correctly what lies beneath was also a late summer entry <clears throat> I, I don't know why they were do- what why this pattern happened that way in the 90s but that's how it worked back then <laughs> yeah. and i forgot my favorite death so i just want to quick say that for me oh. i think my favorite death is poor joseph gordon levitt because it's oh, so yes. unexpected it is. But it really is that scream. Like it's it's kind of like a self-referential winking. It's as meta as this film gets. It's not as meta as Scream, and that's intentional. But like it still has a little bit of that that I like. Yeah. And so I like that it is killing off the um, young actor that everybody would be expecting to be um, one of the protagonists throughout the film. Right. And right. Yeah. <clears throat> it also does it in a way that kind of makes fun of uh, slasher movies, how the character trait, the defining character trait is what kills him. So he likes hockey. They make that very clear. <laughs> I hockey skate. Yeah. So it's like, it's just that kind of self-referential, like they know the joke, but they still do it because they love it. So. Well, and that's probably where Kevin Williamson's invisible hand came in, right? Yeah. <laughs> that that bit of self-referential <clears throat> undertone yeah yeah um when we do our uh when we do our kind of um retrospective on the entire franchise mm-hmm. in a few weeks one of the things i want to talk about in that is some of the um movies that didn't get made so i want to talk about um robert zappia's original take on halloween because remember he was originally called in to write uh a direct-to-video low-budget sequel. And so his original take um, didn't have Jamie Lee Curtis in it, of course, because she hadn't been signed on at that point. So it's it's a very interesting plot. So 
We'll talk about that in a few weeks. I'm looking forward forward to that discussion for sure. Any any concluding concluding thoughts? Mine and remember at the beginning of this episode, Pace promised us to be punchy, and this is as punchy as I get, honeys. <laughs> My concluding thought is that this is a much better movie than what Pace gives it credit for. Don't listen to them. Uh, you know, their their opinion doesn't matter in this case. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Love. Love. I'm saying this all out of love. Love for Halloween H2O. <laughs> now, one thing I want to say that would have made this movie go at least up to a 7 out of 10 was another missed opportunity. Danielle Harris. Ah. Uh had requested to make a cameo. She had her agent contact them when she found out that they're doing Halloween six, uh, Halloween 7 H2O. She, she had her agent call and said, I will do a cameo. I know you don't want me to be a main character because you have Jamie Lee Curtis back, but I will do um, like a cameo. I could just be in the background or something, like yeah. an Alfred Hitchcock kind of cameo, just... Uh, as a passerby and she thought that'd be really cool but um they said no and she thinks they said no probably because she had turned down halloween six uh so what (laughs) i feel so bad for danielle harris the franchise didn't respect her like and and she's game she was game to continue and you know she she was a real trooper Oh, Danielle. She comes back for both of the Rob Zombie films, which are coming up. So, but that it's debatable um, whether or not, like, how how do you feel about her appearances there? Because she's a brilliant actress and it's great seeing her on the big screen in Halloween again. Uh But just the way that Rob Zombie tortures her character in a very brutal way in both films, just. Isn't that isn't that cool? So it's like, is that really the the uh, reappearance of our beloved Danielle Harris, child actor, we want to see? So I don't know. My goodness. Okay, that's going to be an interesting one to screen and then to talk about as well. I just want to say for the record, though, I'm not looking forward to the Rob Zombie films. Here is here's how I feel about Rob Zombie, and since. We're right now in the 90s mood. I will use a 90s reference. Uh, for those of you who watch the show Frasier, <laughs> Frasier ha- Frasier has Frasier's father is a blue-collar guy, and Frasier is this upper-class psychiatrist with his own show, and he has upper-class taste. He likes to go to the symphony and all of that, and... And his father, who's a blue-collar guy, is, you know, I want to go to baseball games, and I want to eat steak. So, in this scenario, I am Frasier, and Rob Zombie is my father. (laughs) It's a total clash of worlds. I just, I don't understand the Rob Zombie aesthetic at all. So, you know, this is going to be a chore for me, but it's okay. There's light at the end of the tunnel Halloween 2018, which I enjoyed a lot. Yeah, I will say this about Halloween and Halloween 2, the zombie remakes. There are things about them that I absolutely love. And I think Mm -hmm. we're the right call. Overall, I think they are not good movies. 
but there are nevertheless some things that I really love about them. So I'll be interested to hear what you think, Joe, and see if you have, because you haven't seen those two before, right? I have not. No, I avoided them like the plague. <laughs> yeah. So, so <laughs> I, I think you'll, I, I don't know. We'll see. The, spoiler alert audience. So, but that leaves us with our next, um, with our next entry, which is Halloween Resurrection. Uh, where we see Jamie Lee Curtis's promised return yet again, but in a way that um, the audience didn't expect, I don't think. So um, we'll get there next week. So so come on back and we'll get into Halloween Resurrection with a very theological title. Indeed, indeed. And not only that, but I believe we get Busta Rhymes as one of the cast members. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a fun movie. It's not... I don't think it's a good movie because of what it does to Halloween H2. We'll talk about this next week. But aside from that, there's some things I actually like about it. It's it's not my favorite, but it'll do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to be interesting for sure. <laughs> that, that sounds very promising. It'll do. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Well, I guess that's it. Unless you have anything else. No, I, I have nothing else to say for this uh, movie that was worthy of all nine jack-o'-lanterns I gave it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you end there. I think. I think that's okay. You're <laughs> you're allowed to falsely think that it's nine. <laughs> no, no, you're convincing me though. I I see it. I I do. It's just I wish it was scarier. If it was a little scarier, maybe it'd be a little higher. But right, right. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> oh well. That's it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt May, who also edited this episode. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media. Facebook and Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church, and Twitter at HNACpod for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time, if you're going to have a send-off for Loomis, please play actual footage of his original voice talking. Do not hire a voice actor. I, it was good intention. It just it felt a little cheap. So and, 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 and it got the movie on the wrong foot because you're spending time wondering, is that him? No, that's not him. No offense to the voice actor, because sure, did did your best. It's just it's It's not his it's not his fault. It's not Donald Pleasance, and and it's sad. Yeah. All right, toodles, my friends. Bye.